Hello, and welcome to another episode of the STC podcast. In this episode, you'll be hearing a discussion between longtime friends and legends of the STC stage, Richard Roxburgh and Heather Mitchell. This year, they are both appearing in Act Two of our 2022 season. It is also the 30th anniversary of Richard and Heather starring opposite one another in an STC production in 1992's The Homecoming. To commemorate Heather and Richard's incredible STC legacies, we recorded this panel discussion, which gives a rich insight into the joys and challenges of creating memorable theatre, a look back at the playful antics in the rehearsal room, and what it's like to be back at the wharf together after 30 years. This discussion was originally held at an event for our community of donors and Sydney theatre company Soulmates, those generous patrons who have left a gift in their will, so we could celebrate the people, both our artists and audiences, who have helped make us the company we are today. Before we begin the discussion, we'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, on whose land all Sydney Theatre Company productions, including this podcast, are created. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people with whom we work and with whom we share stories. And now, here's Danielle Hyde-Brink to introduce the panel. I've got an official bio for each of you, and I'm going to read a little bit out of it. This could take quite a while. <laughs> it's the abridged version. So we'll start with Heather. Heather, you graduated from NIDA in 1980. You've appeared in over 30 productions. Um, most recently, for us, it's Harp in the South, Top Girls and Cloud Nine. You're a current board member and a foundation director, and you've had a 41-year relationship with the company. Oh, well, perhaps. We can get to the two of you later, but your first experience working at STC, um, I hear, was an HSC workshop in 1981 where you performed scenes from Henry IV Part One. Um, then in 1982, you made your main stage debut in Can't Take It With You. Extraordinary. I'm going to go on to Richard now. Not the two of you together, but the abridged version of Richard. You graduated from NIDA in 1986. Your first appearance here at STC was in Pericles in 1987. Um, and then the following year... Oh, sorry, I've, I've missed that bit. You've appeared in over 15 productions for STC. Cyrano, I think, was one of your most notable ones, along with Waiting for Godot and, of course, The Present, which toured to Broadway. And you're back here now in The Tempest. So thank you, both of you. Um, so pretty exciting to have you both in the rehearsal room at the same time. And I'll give a bit of background to what we were thinking of when we came up with this event. Really for us, we were thinking of what is it that makes theatre so special? And when we um, uh, consider it, it's really about the people. It's about everybody that's here in this room. It's about the artists and the creatives and the audiences who devote so much of their time and so much of their life to this company to make it something very, very special. So that's how the idea for this event was born. And we're very, very fortunate that way back in the day when um, the company was first, the company here at the Wharf um, was first got together, a fellow called John Preston um, I think you know this, squatted in the building before STC officially got possession of it. Um, and when the show started, he collected every single playbill and poster and card and absolutely everything that he could find. And he used to keep them in little um, cardboard boxes under his desk until Judy Seif arrived to create an archive department for us. But Judy's still here, the archive is still here, and so we have these fabulous images. So let's go to the first image. This is a shot of Burn This. Do you recognise it? <laughs> what does it feel like seeing images like this that are burned this, I think that was 32 years ago? And from what I understand, I think that might have been the very first production that Wayne Harrison ever directed as artistic director. When, when I look at that, I just am amazed how much hair you have. <laughs> but, but then I realise that it you had extensions. Yeah. No, that's right. I remember you having extensions in that, and I remember you going to the hairdresser quite regularly, and it was like they were, um, um, what do you call it, plaited into your scalp, weren't they? Yeah, it was yeah. some weird thing that mm. I've never had since. Because um, uh, I remember in the show I had to put my, I put my hands into your hair and they'd get yeah, stuck. Yeah, and they would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I had a ring once and it got stuck in there. And yeah, I'm going, oh, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, it's amazing seeing that because, um, yeah, Wayne, I remember we were sitting in the restaurant down just down here when um, Wayne had taken over the company and Richard and I were sitting there. I'm not sure why we were there because um, I don't think we were doing a show or anything, but Wayne came up and sort of just said, um, do you both... I remember him just saying casually, would you like to do this show called Burn This? And um, he was quite nervous because he'd just begun um, his role as the artistic director and he'd originally been Richard Werritt's, uh, the associate director with Richard. And I remember when he was announced the new artistic director of the company, like any artistic director, I guess, who, when they take on the new role, there are some people who think, yes, fantastic, this person is the perfect person, and other people think that person's not experienced enough, you know, what, you know, what chops have they got to do this role? And um, I always thought it was a very difficult position when someone's first uh, announced. And so I think he was a little nervous, I remember. And he just went on and on and proved himself to be so fantastic, just as our current artistic director. And um, and I just remember... But do you think he was just down there kind of... and, you know, waiting until two actors I do. Came <laughs> <and there was laughs> because I really do. Do you want to do Burn This? <laughs> um, is that how that... I think he might have been, because it was just sort of like, are you having lunch and do you want to do Burn This? What, was, was, sort of what was Burn This about? Burn This? Yeah. You can take over. Oh, what was it about? Oh, wow. I mean, it was a kind of crazy time. I mean, it was... <clears throat> um, it is about, essentially, it's set in New York. It's a, it's a guy who arrives at your apartment. You're living with a, your gay... A gay friend, friend whose who's, who's, brother has just died. Whose brother's just died, yes. And my guy arrives... And he was my brother, the guy who died. Sorry, your brother. Yes, has died. I read the play once. Yeah. <laughs> it was and 32 so years ago. It's kind of steeped in grief. and But he's a kind of, you know, he's a bone-headed boy from Brooklyn and you're... Um, well, she's a dancer. Yes. And um, she's in grief, basically, when the show begins. She's living in a loft in New York and she's dancing. and um, And then this... It's your brother who dies, yeah. and you come to the apartment... To collect his stuff. To collect his stuff. Anyway, it's a love story, yeah. but a, it, was, it was... It doesn't sound like it the way we... <laughs> but it is. But it's against the backdrop... Not the backdrop, very much about... It was during, you know, the AIDS epidemic, and so the play is very much about AIDS yeah. and about and, grief. And, and at that time, it was also a play about sort of, you know, boneheaded masculinity dealing with the fact of having a brother who turned out to be gay, yeah. which in itself at that time, um, you know, seemed like a, uh, it, was, it was a kind of, um, it was a real thing. Now you'd think, wow, it's <laughs> like never, I don't, uh, I know they did a production of it recently somewhere, I think in New York again. We do have images. We do have an image. I'm not sure if it's this one or another one of Burn This that's in the long corridor as you walk up and down. Do, do either of you notice those photos when you're walking down the long walkway? And when you look at it, do you think of your character or what sort of memories does that do they bring back? I, mean, I love looking at all the photos. I look at them each time I walk down. I love looking at them. And um, look, I, for me, every photograph of any production is so evocative and it makes me realise how every production stays with you through your whole life. And, it, and in a moment, you can recall it, and not just what, what the show's about, even though we're having trouble, but, um, but the sense of it. And the, you, you, you remember not the only on stage, feels? you remember the dressing room, you remember mm. everything comes flooding back, the memories, and, the, and, and yeah, it's very And is it present. your memories and experiences or the character that you're feeling that comes back? It's a mishmash of everything, really. It's both, really. I mean, it, that particular production was, you know, it was a very fraught time in my life. My mum died when we were in rehearsal for that. And uh, I thank God I had Heather Mitchell, <laughs> you know, in the company because um, that was very good. It was also just so strange to be doing a play that was so much about grief and dealing with 
you know, displacement and loss and all of that stuff at that time. It was, in, you know, it was quite a thing. Do you remember that? I remember it very well. Yeah, it was quite a thing. So, you know, because I guess in theatre, that's the other thing that theatre is. It's a kind of, you bring, well, all acting is, I guess, you bring your things with you uh, whether you like it or not. So, you, you're all constantly drawing... And I don't mean, wow, well, no, I'm thinking about the fact that my mum died. It's not that at all. It's about the... It's experiential, so it's about the sense of grief or whatever you have. And so, you have... You know, you end up having some quite <clears throat> profound and at times quite uh, wacky and quite spiritually transformative things that happen in what we do, I would say. Do you agree? Yeah. Is that what cements the relationships? I mean, one of the things that I've noticed with artists that come through here is there's something very special that happens when you work together on a production, um, that there's something that then stays with that group of people, even if you don't work together again for years and years and years. Yeah, I think there's the personal and the professional. So I think that there's the roles you play which have an effect in that you have a memory, a sense memory of those roles, so those relationships within those roles, and then there's the sense memory of the, pe the people. So there's me and Richard that I remember very fondly, and then there's the, you know, we worked together so well, and I remember backstage we were, we got into making lampshades, remember that? We, we had this hobby of making la like lampshades and you were into like doing wonderful loony cartoons and, and um, loony style cartoons and um, we were also making bread and butter puddings and like we, we had all this stuff going on backstage that was sort of, <laughs> I know it's very strange, but um, so there were all these things that we'd do, you know, personally and then professionally on stage, then there's also the memory of those characters in that relationship who were in love and that was very passionate and it was very um, sort of visceral memory of it all, yeah. Yeah, every production um, has, has, has a, such a strong memory of, of the company of players who, who were in it. I mean, because we don't do theatre for any other reason than the love of love of the thing, you know, it's not, it's not a way to earn an ink, it's not a, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, a, it's, you do it because we love it, it's, it's, and we love it because it's, um, it's a very, it's a profound and important thing in our, in, in our lives. I mean, I, I just love all of those memories, that kind of necklace of memories of all the productions that I've been Obviously, there's some ones that you want to just sort of unscrew and take off the, <laughs> off the chain. But, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, I really, really mean for the most part, they're so beautiful. So you each started your careers with STC, though, separately. Um, I think, Richard, the first production, we've got separate production shots of, of your very first productions. That very glamorous image there in the white suit, that's you, Richard, I think, in Pericles, a most auspicious star. Did you say suspicious star? Yes. Well, that one's looking a little bit suspicious. Yeah. Uh, yes, that was directed by the, the wonderful George Ogilvie, who I dearly loved. Um, yeah. You just uh, graduated from NIDA, hadn't yeah, you? Was it yes. that year or the previous year? Yeah, that, the, the, it was the year after, I think. So what was it like coming straight out of drama school into a production at Sydney Theatre Company? It was amazing. I, I felt... I mean, it was, it was amazing on so many levels because after three years at, at NIDA, it was, you know, there were so many firsts to earn gainful employment in something that you thought, I just may never earn gainful employment doing this. That was really something. Uh, it was beautiful to be working with professionals and with somebody like George Ogilvie, who was such a great, in particular, I think, such a great, such a great mentor of a human being, just a wonderful human being, George Ogilvy. So, um, you know, there's a lot of colour and movement. There was some crazy stuff in that cast, I remember quite vividly as well. Um, I, I, we don't have to go into details there, but that was... <laughs> well, I can was see quite from the contemporary of, costume too. There was quite a bit of crazy going on. Um, and that was, you know, they're all... But, uh, yeah, they all go on the necklace... 
<laughs> well, we've got a shot of Heather in your first production. This is gorgeous. I love this shot. We've actually got it on the brochures that were on your on everybody's chairs. This is, of course, you can't take us with you. Um, how long after your first HSC workshop was this production? Do you know? Um, no, but I think <laughs> um, I think I'd gone to Adelaide. I think I must have done. I'd been in Adelaide anyway, and I was doing a show down there. After I left NIDA back then, um, young actors would uh, often get the opportunity to go down the south, to the South Australian Theatre Company, um, and you'd be given small roles and, you know, learn on the job. And I had been given a role of a, a spear carrier, basically, and I, all I had to say was, buy that. And I had to look up what it meant. Vivat. Vivat. And, um, what and does vivat mean? Oh, for life, you know. Oh. And um, I, um, I said my vivat and, <laughs> and I was getting a little bored. <laughs> but anyway, George Ogilvie again um, rang and said, do you think you could, as soon as vivat's over, before you go into the next spear-carrying role, do you think you could come to the Sydney Theatre Company and do this show playing a fantastic role? So I, I said yes. And George Ogilvie again directed this, and uh, it was an amazing cast. Carol Is that Ray. Carol Ray? That's Carol yeah. Ray. It was Jeffrey Rush, um, Al Thomas there, who had all his lines written up his arm because <laughs> he couldn't remember any of them, and he'd be doing this. And um, but it was a beautiful. It was a comedy. It was a beautiful show to do. It was. It was lovely. And George, the thing about George Ogilvie, George would laugh a lot in rehearsal, and he always carried a hanky, and he'd stuff yes. the hanky in his mouth so that he, you couldn't hear him laughing. And he'd be going, <laughs> <laughs> and, he'd, and he'd be walking around with his hanky in his mouth most of the day. It was hilarious. <laughs> he would also do it in emotional scenes. So yeah. if there was something, you know, if there was something that he was profoundly moving, he'd, he'd, you'd, at the end of the scene, you'd see him going, <laughs> <laughs> pulling it out of his mouth. Out of his mouth, because he, he, he didn't want to make a noise and ruin everybody's director. flow. He was beautiful. Yeah, he yeah. was very special. Um, are they your first memories of STC, or were you aware of Sydney Theatre Company before those first productions? Well, yes, I was. I mean, the first time I remember, I was at school. I was at high school, and I had a friend who was doing stage management course at the first year at NIDA. And she, I lived in a country town, and she invited me to come for the weekend. And she was living in Glenmore Road, Paddington, in a terrace house. And uh, there was a party on, and I arrived. I must have been 16, nearly 17. And there was this guy, Richard Werrett, um, standing on the top step, and he was really holding court with a bunch of these young um, actors and stage managers from um, NIDA, who were in first year at NIDA. And, um, and that's when I first met him. I didn't really get to talk to him or anything, but I met him that night and then heard that he'd gone on to start, not start up, but to take over Sydney Theatre Company, which was two rooms in, um, in King's Cross. So when I left, um, once I left Adelaide and once I did this, uh, we were given a contract where you could, you were offered, I think it was eight to ten shows a year, and you had to accept at least five. And so I just, ex I, you know, I think I accepted. It wasn't ten; it must have been six or something. You had to accept four or something. So um, there was a bunch of us actors. There was Hugo Weaving, Linda Cropper. Um, there was Peter Carroll and John Gaydon, and they were all sort of mainstays of the company. And uh, so that was an amazing time. So that was when I first my original introduction to STC before the wharf was John built. Gaydon was associate artistic director in those early he was, days. And he gave he? me yeah. that my first job in... I remember, was it the hot pants? No, you, I was wearing a leopard skin suit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this story. And yeah. uh, he just offered me the job right there and there. <laughs> I didn't have to... Oh, well, that sounds terrible, but no, it was, you know... <laughs> yeah, he's gay. I think we've got an, uh, our next slide is um, another one of Burn This. Is that Burn This? Mm -hmm. looking, looking at the screen now. I have a couple of reviews here and I'm just going to um, embarrass you both by reading some ex excerpts of some of the reviews in the media at the time. The first one is from Rosemary Neal who wrote for The Australian. Um, and she said, under Wayne Harrison's direction, Richard brings a manic scene-stealing intensity to the role of pale snatching and striking at the air, Roxburgh's pale gives us an idea of what it might be like to be a tormented speed freak in purgatory. It's right up his alley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, I, I guess at the time I may have been feeling like a tormented speed freak in purgatory in, in real life. Um, but yeah, look, it was it was a great role, wasn't it? I mean, it was a really fun. It was a fun role. John Malkovich um, did the original production. It was one of those you know roles that people really you know you, you stepped into some shoes to. Um, it was yeah. really, your performance was incredibly edgy and dangerous. And I remember there were um, some people who came to the show multiple times. And there was one particular fellow who sat in the front row multiple times and he brought a ferret or a rat. Do you remember that? He had a rat that he used to bring. But he was just in love with your performance and he was studying you, I remember. Like, he, he kept coming back. But it was a very, I think what people really liked about the production was it was dangerous. It felt dangerous. Mm. It really... This is what people said about you. Anyway. When, when you talk to people who work here, and this is even people in administration and, and people who work throughout the building, one of the things that they talk about that draws them to working for a theatre company is that sense of danger. So it's that sense of, I mean, that's a particular type of danger that you're talking about within that character, but I think there's something about that in what it is to create theatre or what it is to work in, so, in, a, in an industry that's sort of so volatile and, and so changeable in the moment. I love it. I mean, I love that's that's another thing that I just completely love is the fact that theatre is incredibly dangerous because it's live, yeah. and because at any moment things can go wrong, and they often do. I mean, they really often do, and sometimes some quite alarming things happen. Um, <clears throat> but it gives it a real sense of. Um, of the the kind of urgent um, the 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 urge urgency of transmitting that information in real time, it just feels feels like a great um, means of transferring information to my mind because it has that urgency to it. I mean, <coughs> we did a production of Hamlet one time, and the sword. <laughs> I was at Hamlet's fight with with with. Um, Laertes, and the sword just snapped, and a metal sword flew into the audience. It's just like, you guys are here, it just went up into there. And how somebody did not die in that audience is amazing, but my God, like, talk about focusing the mind. Um, you know, it's a real settler, uh, having a sword go into an audience like that. It's really, it's really something. It, but, and I use that in example only in the sense that the same thing happens with... Because there's moments, you know, we've had this where you've just... Things ignite on stage and it really kicks off and you just go, it's happening. We're absolutely on fire. It's fucking incredible. We're in the moment. It's real and it's... There's nothing else like it. There's no other kind of buzz quite like it. And it's so beautiful. And it's what makes it kind of profound... To, to do it as well, you know. And also then, I guess, dangerous and it makes you very vulnerable um, to be putting yourself in that position again and again. I, I have another review from the same production. This one talks to Heather. Let me read this one. This is Bob Evans from the Sydney Morning Herald. Burn This is a demanding piece requiring transitions from anger to vulnerability to grief and desire, especially from Pale and Anna. Heather Mitchell is superb in the role, able to fully express her frustration, her sorrow and confusion. It's a lustrous, open performance. Lustrous and well, open. Where's Bob when you need him? <laughs> I'm going to flick through because we've got another production that the two of you have worked in. So, so of course, Burn This was 32 years ago. We are, um, I think we're going to move on to The Homecoming. Is this the set of yeah, The Homecoming? Yeah, that was The Homecoming. Um, yes. Can I ask for The Homecoming before we get to what that one was about? Because that's a whole other thing. Uh, this is a Harold Pinter play. But do you two, do you remember your auditions? What was the audition like? for the, Did you have to audition? No, darling. <laughs> Who directed it? Rodney Fisher directed um, The Homecoming. We'd both worked with Rodney before. You had, hadn't no, you? No, I hadn't, oh. and, and not since. Uh... <laughs> well, I'd worked with him many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be that luscious open, <laughs> openness you have. Um, it's a chilling play, really um, 
I remember when we first read the play uh, um, in the room, and it's, it, very it's confronting, a very isn't confronting, it? chilling uh, work. And certainly as a woman in it, I was the only female in it. And I remember after a performance, a group of young girls, young women, sort of a bit younger than me, coming up to me and saying, how could you possibly have done that play? And they were really upset with me. And it sort of hadn't occurred to me for some reason that the character I was playing, it's, it was yet another role, really. There were quite a few of them where women were being told how to behave by the men. And in some ways, Burn This also had a, an element of that. Um, but this was a play where very much the woman is... It appears that she's being controlled by the men, but in fact she's actually turning the tables and uses her sexuality to take control of the men. So I saw the play very differently to the way this group of young women saw it. And I actually wonder how that play would be done now. Um, yeah. Because it, you know, I remember in the, when we were doing the production, it was yourself, Andrew Ty, Colin Moody, Warren Mitchell, Peter Collingwood. But I did roll around on the floor with most of them. And I, I, firstly, now you wouldn't even Not just, Peter Collingwood. I not Peter think. Collingwood. But, oh, Warren. But, no, but, you know, it's sort of things have changed so much now. Yeah. And in the rehearsal, we'd just do it, you know. But I think I agree it, with... I agree that it, that's, I think it would that's be very in a way what that play is about as well. Yeah. I, I mean, it would have been quite shocking in the 60s. It was originally written in yeah. the 60s, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Yes. Um, the, this, the story, if I'm right, is the homecoming is a, a husband and wife come, you know, come home uh, to a house full of men or a house full of brothers. And during the course of the play, the wife ends up staying uh, with the, the group of men, the group of men yeah. while her husband goes back home to look after the kids mm. um, and I think becoming a prostitute. For the well, she doesn't men. say it that way, but yes. Yeah. Mm. But getting her end of the bargain, I think, on her terms and mm. ending up with an apartment and, and a maid and a house and... A lot. Yeah. Mm. It's it's very interesting, I guess, to see how these plays date. I, I mean, was it, you said it was controversial at the time um, with people who stopped you outside of the theatre. What what did it feel like for for you, Richard, being in a play like that? It felt. I mean, like most Pinter, it has a it has a real creeping menace to it that is, and you can't you can't spot where it is. It's just there the whole time. Like a seemingly innocuous scene where, you know, uh, two people come into a room and start talking. After a while, you just start to, you start to feel like, what is something's not quite right, and you can never pin. But it's it's beautiful writing. I mean, I think he was a you know he's a master at that. Um, but in a way, I thought that that's what that play that play was about: masculine underbelly as well. It was really, you know. Um, there's so much of that in it, and menace, um, and un, unexploded violence, and there, there was a lot going on in it. And um, Rodney Fisher was very uh, particular about the way that <laughs> things... Um, he had a giant script, like a sort of Grimm's fairy tale script, that was about that big from memory, and he has a lectern, and, and he reads the script just as he goes along, and it's like having a conductor, isn't it? He's, and he was so great, I loved. Um, and I don't know if he liked what we did after he left um, the, the play, but, um, but he was great. Yes, he was terrific, yeah. Yes. So when you're playing quite a sinister role, um, how how do you come out of that role at the end of the day, or do, or, or does that say stay with you, or what does that do to you during during a production like that? I don't find those roles so kind of um, impactful, really. Um, I find roles where you have to go into personally sort of scarifying things that ter that territory, you know, so. Things that are really, uh, where, where, you know, dreadful things happen and you have to, you know, it's somebody dealing with, with grief or uncontrolled rage or whatever. I find that's, that's more. So, creeping menace, eh. <laughs> you know. I suppose there's a whole genre kind of, that's built on creeping menace. Yeah, 
Yeah. I think we've got another image. Have we got an image of Heather and um, uh, Richard in the homecoming? Actually, I think we have that one in the walkway as well. I'm now never sure what we've got in the walkway and what I've, we've seen in photos that were maybe going to go into the walkway. Um, did I get a perm? Is that a perm? Is it, I did. I got a perm. Did I? I got a is, black Is that perm. your own hair or is that a Yeah, weird? that's my hair. Did you dye it black as well? I think I must have, yeah. Mm. It's a black perm. It was a... It was a particular look in the 90s. I remember that was a very uh, new wave kind of guy look in the 90s. Um, have you found audience, the appetite of audiences to engage in this type of material? Do you think that's changed um, over the years since you've been performing? To en engage with challenging topics? No, I think, I, I think that audiences, I mean, I think, I mean, the STC, I think, from my experience, has an incredibly faithful audience. Like, I'm always kind of amazed, really, that people for so many years continue to go to the theatre and, um, you know, it's a big thing to, to plan it, to organise your babysitting or whatever and, you know, it's a big thing to do. And um, I think that audiences, from my experience, I'm always amazed how open and generous audiences are and how they're willing to take that chance and to walk into a darkened theatre and just see what's going to happen. I just think it's absolutely incredible. And I, I don't know how to answer that really except that I'm just always so grateful that people still want to go to the theatre and, um, and still seem to get something out of it. I it's think wonderful. in Australia, I think Australian audiences are. I think Australian audiences are really open-minded and I love that about us. And I find, you know, the Sydney theatre audience or an Australian theatre audience, really, um, but Sydney theatre audience in particular and Melbourne, very, like, very open. And you can, you can land some stuff that, that elsewhere would be... I mean, we took... I felt, you know, we took, we took a production of, of, of um, the, the present that we did here with Kate to New York and I felt like it was such a struggle for New Yorkers to deal with that because this is a so it's a Chekhov that was set in the time of perestroika uh, you know repurposed into the time of perestroika by and Andrew Upton and um, and we were speaking it with our own accents and there was a woman I will never forget at the we had a Q&A <laughs> and there was a woman who said how dare you do Anton, the work of Anton Chekhov in accents and, and said it not in his time. And I was like, I, I, <laughs> I said, oh my God, okay. Um, and I answered it and I just said, well, we didn't do it in an accents. We, we did it the way we speak. How, how would you have done it? It was just such a bizarre... But I think that there's an incredibly conservative um, mindset. There really is. Like, New York is a very conservative theatre mindset. And London, you know, incredibly vibrant theatre scene, but it has its, you know... Because it, 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 you took Godot to London. Y yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, that was, you know, that, that was, that was well-received as well. With a lot. Um, but but uh, they liked... I think they liked... That, that it was a fun production of <laughs> Godot. Um, but, yeah, what I was getting at is that um, I, I think Australian audiences are really, really open to invention and colourful invention. Is there a particular production that either of you have been in that you felt has really pushed you or really challenged you? Or you've really loved... Oh, there's many that I've loved. I mean, I loved... I mean, I really loved Cloud Nine that um, I did with Kip. And I found that challenging in that... Um, in a good way, not in a bad way. Um, firstly, you know, technically there was these wonderful challenging moments of the scene changes. Like, that. even that is really exciting for a director to be so specific and so precise about they want their vision for a scene change and... To get that right, it sounds silly and maybe a bit trite, but it is so exciting to get that right. And if you don't, you feel so bad. Things like that, those technical, I love the, I really do enjoy a technical 
challenge. Um, doing the Catherine McGregor uh, show was a big challenge because that's about a living person and currently I'm rehearsing RPG, which is also about a living legend. So those sort of challenges are very different sort of challenges. Can, can you tell the audience a little bit about um, RBG physically, about what you need to do to get into the character of RBG? Before I came here, I was burping because <laughs> we just had she a... She really was. We didn't mean that bit. I meant the... <laughs> we just had a run and I'd been crouched down for so long. <laughs> um, William, she's such, it's such a privilege to even attempt to, um, to try and perform in memory of her, but um, what was the question? Oh, it was just what oh, you loved, but anyway, yeah, physical. The thing is that it's um, physically the challenge is, you know, she ages from 13 to 87 in the show and obviously you can't do that realistically, so it's choosing certain physical um, stances or physical moments, so it is quite technical trying to find things to emulate those ages and, and, uh, and, and translate what those things can say. Um, but, yeah, I think that, I mean, I do love to be challenged and I think that one of the points of being in the theatre, as you were saying, is it in, in, you have to use all of yourself working in the theatre, which is why, I mean, it's wonderful doing screen work, but there's something about the theatre where you come and you go, boy, you never work so hard as you do in the theatre. Like, you know, you, you really don't. And I think that what Richard said before, no one works in the theatre who doesn't love it. Or you just wouldn't stay. I mean, the workshop people are there from so early in the morning till late at night and on weekends building the sets. And one of the greatest thrills for me always is walking through. And that's one thing that's never changed from in 30 what years of walking down through the wharf is you walk through that workshop area and it's such a thrill to work, walk through there. And then you walk into the costume department and everyone's in there working so hard. And then you walk into the scenic art and everyone's painting and everyone's got their masks on and everyone's... And they're working really hard and to deadlines and, you know, being asked sometimes insanely difficult things to produce. And, um, and then sometimes they just get discarded as well because the vision changes or something. So it's... Uh, I just think I'm just always just, oh, just, I'm so thrilled, not just by acting, but I'm so thrilled by the company of people that work at a th any theatre company, no matter how small or how large, but at this company there's a lot of people working here. And uh, I think we forget how the stage management um, works so hard and how, I mean, everyone's just, they all put in many more hours than, many more than... Uh, one would imagine, certainly not a nine-to-five job ever. So, and I, that's what I love about it too, though. And no one's going, oh, it's, you know, on film, you do 15 minutes overtime and everyone's, you know, you're having to find a couple hundred thousand more dollars, you know, whereas in the theatre, everyone just assumes, oh, we'll stay back till it finishes. Well, not always. But, you know, everyone's willing, most people are willing to, even though, you know, we don't, because you do have a cut-off time. But, you know, everyone's willing to, to make it work and put it on, yeah. What about you, Richard? Is there a particular role or a particular play that, that's, that stands out for you? Um, well, at Estes, I, I have to say I found the, the present really intense to do because it was kind of three... It was, I think it was over three hours and it was on... We could, like I think Kate and I were kind of on stage the entire time. It's quite a heartbreaking ending too. Yeah, and it went, um, <laughs> it just went everywhere. There was just, and it was, yeah. Um, so that was uh, that was very intense, and um, yeah, and so. I haven't done theatre for five years since I did that. <laughs> it's taken that long to recover. <laughs> kind of. A little bit, yeah. Um, yeah. What brought you back? Oh, look, Kip and I have been talking for um, a long time about... Because I've always... You know, I haven't worked with Kip and I'm... And so we've been workshopping ideas um, about a, a project and... We just both got incredibly excited about The Tempest because we both just love it. And um, so that's, that's really, that's it. Um, I heard you um, the other day just talking about, I think your phrase was the terabytes of language. 
or the terabytes of words that you're needing to imprint in in your brain. Is is that particular to Shakespearean works, or is that what it feels like coming back to theatre? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I mean, if you if you're working on in a film, you'll read through your eight pages of dialogue for the next for the scenes the next day, and it's. He walks in to the kitchen. He sits in the corner. Kathy says, hmm? And he says, hmm. <laughs> Scene. And, and, but, you know, if you're doing uh, Waiting for Godot um, or, or Shakespeare, it's, it's kind of just endless, like, confetti drops of words. And so, but that's, I love that too. I mean, because I love words. I, lo I love Shakespeare. The weird thing is, I haven't done Shakespeare since I did Hamlet. So that's a long, long time ago. And really strange, because I sort of feel like I've spent my life doing Shakespeare, but I haven't. And so that was a really weird realisation that Kip and I had. Um, so that's great as well, um, because... I do love it so much. I feel like it's my, I don't want to say area of expertise because that sounds not what I mean. What I mean is it's, my, it's the thing I love, I think, the most is Shakespeare. So it's very strange that I've, <laughs> I've never done it. Um, <laughs> um, but he, here we are. So it's great to be back. It's very exciting. I have to say it is very, very exciting walking past the rehearsal rooms and seeing both The Tempest and RBG being in rehearsal at the same time. It's going to be a very big end to the year, I think. Um, I think we probably have time, um, unless there's any other outrageous little stories or anything you want to share. It's probably time to throw open to the audience to see if anyone has any questions. So if anybody didn't hear, Justin was asking um, for a favourite blooper moment or something that had to be saved, where you had to save yourself in the situation. I remember when we were doing No Exit and um, at the end of the play the door opens and the characters are all confronted by the fact that they haven't wanted to leave this space and then they're given the option to leave but the door didn't open. And um, I just remember us trying to open the door and it wouldn't open and trying to open the door. But we, I cannot remember what we did but we had to ad-lib for a good sort of 10 minutes <laughs> and um, before stage management on the other side were able to open the door. But I actually remember in Burn This... <laughs> but in Burn This, I remember, there was a heat wave. There was a heat wave while we were um, doing the show and the that all the air conditioning was broken down. And I remember going to Michael Lynch, who was the general manager at the time, and saying, Michael, you know, we can't actually do this show. It's, we can't even breathe. It was so hot. And he said, no, well, you have to do it. And I said, he went, okay. We were just sweating. We were, it was, like, incredibly hot. And there was a scene where I had to... I was smoking, and I don't smoke, and I'm a terrible smoker. And I remember my hair was sort of very... lot of hair. And um, I remember smoking, and I remember you were on stage with me, and I went... And I came back and the cigarette was gone. And I remember thinking, and I remember you going. <laughs> and my hair, my cigarette had got stuck in one of my curls and the smell and was beginning to, and it was a heat wave. And, um, and you actually came around and went. <laughs> and because of your character, you could. But I must say, I had no idea what you were doing. <laughs> and uh, so, But you saved me from my hair scorching. But that was a good one. Um, but no, there's always lots. Oh, yeah, there's always lots. I mean, I did... In that first ever... Uh, was it that? Yes, it was the Pericles I did with George. That was the first thing out of drama school. And there was a wonderful actor called Paul, Paul Goddard in it. And um, he had to come off stage and his line to me... And he was talking about the young lady in the play. And he said... How couldst thou think that she should even know the meaning of the word inconstancy, let alone the use or practice of it, and, and stare at me and walk off? And so he was shaming me, and, I, and I, so I walked on stage and he said, 
How couldst thou think that she should even know the meaning of the word incontinence, let alone the use or practice of it? And then he just burst out laughing in my face and walked off. And I had to, I, I was absolutely stricken. And I could hear him tittering in wings as he went off as well. It was terrible. Um, yeah, there's always a, yeah. Always great when a character doesn't show up on stage. Um, I did a production of Serious Money and somebody just didn't show up one time. And Missed we, their cue yeah, or just, didn't just didn't turn up for just the... wasn't there. And it kind of didn't matter, which made me sort of think about the whole writing thing in a different way. Um, but, you know, there's so much great st- I mean, when I first started, do you remember the drinking when we first, you know, in the early days. I mean, and God bless, there were actors who used to love it and they would come to rehearsal with a couple of bottles and one of the first uh, plays I ever did was the... (laughs) was the Three Musketeers in Melbourne with a wonderful, adorable um, Glaswegian actor called Frank Gallagher. May he rest in peace. And he used to love... Uh, this activity, so he would turn up, and you would I would hear, and corks opening as I walked down the corridor, and he and a couple of the other actors um, would start getting stuck in. Now my my I had a sword fight <laughs> with him in Act Four at the very end of Act Four, by which stage he would come on stage, and he he <laughs> he would just kind of come at me like. And, it's, and he'd, he'd say, he'd always say, hey, Richard. And then he'd just start, he would start just going, f- like, just going for it, like a real actual sword fight. Um, and you just didn't know uh, where any of the, it was nothing to do what, with the choreography or anything. Um, that always kept you on your toes. I think we've probably got time for just one or two more questions. I know that there's someone over here that has a question. Kip Williams is just down the <laughs> Shh, he's just down the back. Asshole. <laughs> uh, look, I've completely loved working with Kip. Uh, <laughs> no, we have such a great... We've, I mean, I just annoyed the crap out of poor Kip before we arrived into the rehearsal room just with sort of thousands of texts about sort of, you know filleting bits or what, we, what we're doing and he would come back to me and so there's been a really, he, you know, and he, he's sort of suggesting stuff and there's been a great to and fro, I've, I've loved it. I love that, um, you know, depending on the person but it's, I, I love it, yeah. Really lively it's rare, and... It's I don't think, it's interesting, I mean like, okay, I just want to say it right now, Kip is the most sublime director to work with and um, he truly is. Uh, and in my experience, I'd say most directors I've worked with, I've really enjoyed working with. And if there is ever any tension, uh, it's rarely, I suppose it's about maybe interpretation sometimes, but even that is so e- usually easily worked out, I think. And usually, because on the first day of a rehearsal, you see the design presentation, you, I mean, some productions, you may know about that beforehand. But often you get a pretty good sense of what the show is going to be about, your part in the show, what it's going to be about. So it's, if there are personality problems or difficulties, that's one thing. But rarely, I must say in my experience, I've always had really wonderful experiences with directors, generally speaking. In theatre. In theatre. Yeah. In theatre. Yeah. In theatre. <laughs> we probably have time for one more question. Yes? With three. Um, that's a great question. Look, I think it depends on... It honestly depends on the production. There's something about doing a tiny produ- tiny work, like a ch- tiny chamber piece that is so intimate and beautiful and you can... You know, the whisper and the click of a tongue can be heard. And so there's something really beautiful about that. But I always say I, I love 
working in the, the Ros Packer because I just think it's a great theatre. It's beautiful. It has a beautiful, odd sense of intimacy given the size of it. So I love that theatre. Um, there's some theatres that I don't, you know, that I haven't enjoyed working in as much. I don't find the drama theatre um, uh, as good just, just, it, just because it wasn't ever conceived as a theatre. It feels like it's a kind of letterbox of a thing that, uh, that it, it's, there's an oddity in it. But, it, but a theatre is a spirit. It's got, a, it's got its own animus. You can feel it. Like, so, you know, and the good ones, they just feel great. So it, a lot of it's down to that. And the nature of the work, too, you know. Um, so, I mean, I've, I feel like... Because I think we, you know, Kip and I were sort of mulled very briefly over where, where would be the best place to do The Tempest. And there was just kind of no question, really, that it, it, it would have to be on a scale uh, um, that would suit the, the Ros Packer Theatre. I just want to thank you all for coming tonight, but especially thank, um, please join me in thanking Richard and Heather. They've both created such fabulous legacies. They both bring so much joy and professionalism and, and real kindness, actually, when, the, when they come into the theatre. So it's a pleasure to welcome them back and such a joy to have them here. Um, they are leaving a great legacy with the company, as are all of you, by continuing to support what we do. Um, and if any of you have any questions at all about leaving a gift in your will um, or about legacies or about your donations or about shows or what to see next year or, in fact, anything at all, please join us for a drink um, down on the large balcony afterwards. We'd love to spend time with you there. Um, Heather and Richard won't be joining us for a drink. We're giving them the night off given that they are actually working. <laughs> so they've got, a, they've got a show that they have to continue and I think Kip is about to take them back down to the rehearsal room because as actors they're not allowed to sleep. <laughs> but please join me in thanking them both again. Heather and That was Daniel Hybring, Richard Roxburgh and Heather Mitchell discussing their iconic careers with STC to celebrate the artists and audiences who have helped build STC's remarkable legacy. If STC has played a significant role in your life, you may like to consider making STC a part of your own personal legacy. A legacy gift of any size makes a lasting impact and allows Sydney Theatre Company to continue creating memorable theatre. For more information, please visit the STC website. We'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast, but in the meantime, we hope you're well, and we look forward to seeing you in the theatre soon.